The following podcast is sponsored by StructureTech. So this conversation is going to be about hiring tactics and questions and do's and don'ts and where you can get into trouble. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things houses, home inspections, and anything else that's rattling around in our brain. Well, on today's episode, we're in the third category. We're back to things rattling around in our brain, and we're super pleased to have Lenny Siegel back on from Schindel Siegel. And last time we caught up with Lenny, we were talking about vaccination mandates, and we thought it'd be a great idea to bring him back on. That conversation happened last fall. We are now after the first of the year. There's been court proceedings. There's been rulings. There's been political posturing and all kinds of things that have gone on. So we we thought it'd be fun to pick Lenny's brain again and and see if there's any wisdom that employers might have, uh, big, small, little, wide. I don't know how however you want to explain employers. Lenny, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Happy to talk about vaccine mandates or whatever else rattles around in your brain. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, we are hiring at Structure Tech, so we're going to, the second half of this conversation is going to be about hiring tactics and questions and do's and don'ts and where you can get into trouble. But first, let's let's kind of get up to speed on this vaccine mandate. Where do we stand? Give us the legal perspective of where everybody stands. Okay, so, and I'll try to do this without using any legalese. You guys oh, can tell use me as much I... as you want. It, this yes, is, I uh... did. <laughs> There's really three federal vaccine mandates. One has probably gotten the most publicity and most recently, but there's really three and I'll talk about each of the three. The one that's gotten the most publicity is the large employer vaccine mandate. That was supposed to apply to all private employers with 100 or more employees. And under that mandate, those employers would either have to make sure all their people were fully vaccinated or alternatively uh, getting tested at least weekly, wearing masks in the workplace, that sort of thing. And then there were accommodations for folks with religious beliefs or medical conditions. That was before the U.S. Supreme Court last week, and the U.S. Supreme Court essentially blocked it and said, no, OSHA, which was administering this, overstepped their authority in issuing this vaccine mandate. Basically, the court said, Congress did not give you the authority to do that. And so that mandate is blocked right now. It's technically not dead. It's technically on life support. I won't get too much into the weeds on that, but I don't anticipate it coming back. So that one we're probably done with. The second one is a federal contractor and subcontractor mandate. So that would apply to businesses, as you might suspect, who have contracts or subcontracts with the federal government. That one is currently blocked across the country as well due to a couple of courts issuing injunctions. That has not reached the U.S. Supreme Court yet. Eventually, it probably will as well. But right now that one's blocked. And so nobody has to worry about that one. The third federal vaccine mandate was the one for a lot of healthcare workers. It was really for for Medicare and Medicaid suppliers, home healthcare agencies, hospitals, hospices, ambulatory surgery centers. There's about 15 of them. That one also was before the Supreme Court last week. And that one, the Supreme Court said, could proceed right now. And a lot of people say, wait a minute, why can that one proceed, but not the large employer mandate? And it really comes down to the authority Congress designated to an agency. As I mentioned, for the large employer, one, Congress did not give that authority to OSHA, according to the Supreme Court. 
But the Supreme Court said Congress did give the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services authority to issue its regulation. And so the CMS mandate for these healthcare providers is in effect. And there's dates by which those folks have to comply. I'm suspecting most of your listeners are not in that field. So I don't know if we want to hit too deep on that one, but that one is the one that is in effect. I do have a question. You use the word supplier. Is is supplier of payment? Is that what you mean? I mean, because they're paying for the Medicare or, or Medicaid services that are provided? Yeah, no, it's, it's really those like like who are providing the services to, to patients. It's your hospitals, your hospices. Generally speaking, somebody just supplies something to one of those facilities is not covered by that mandate. Um, individuals might be. So if you, for example, have an individual vendor who's red site and providing services, then they might still be subject to it. But generally speaking, if you're just a supplier, you're not going to be subject to that mandate. It's the facility themselves and all those employees that are subject to it. Okay. So I, I think the angle I was going with it, the government's paying for it so they can kind of dictate, you You want our money, you play by our rules. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you don't comply, if you're covered by that CMS mandate and you don't comply, and I should say that one is a vaccine only, there is no option for testing and masking as an alternative. So it's vaccine or having an accommodation due to a medical condition or a religious belief. And if you don't comply, they, they could terminate your contract. So you know, okay. I've, I've got a quick question. If I can jump in, Lenny, mm-hmm. do you have advice for small business owners on how to handle like the return to work policy for when people get sick? Because with this, you know, spike in the Omicron variant and everything it, and coming off the holidays, it seems like a lot of people. And if you've got kids or whatever, people are just getting really sick. What do you recommend? What sort of guidelines should we follow? To help us navigate when it's okay to have people return to the workplace? Yeah, so the communication coming out of CDC and elsewhere has not been the model of clarity on this. Um, you know, we hear 10-day quarantines and five-day quarantines and masks or testing, and it, it's it's not been terribly clear. What I would say I'd recommend to most clients to do is you follow the latest CDC guidance. But generally speaking, what they're saying is for folks that do get COVID, that they have to quarantine for five days. And then after that, they can kind of go back as long as they're wearing a mask for another five days. Or alternatively, they could get tested at the end of the five-day period. And if they test positive still, then they got to wait another five days to even go back. So that's what they're saying now. And then there's different rules for, you know, I can't tell you exactly what, because I always got to go back and look at the most recent ones. I think the latest guidance is if you're fully vaccinated, even if you're at close contact, you don't have to go and isolate. If you're unvaccinated, then it's different. And now they do want you to isolate. And so most companies are complying with those rules. And some companies, by the way, do have their own vaccine mandates. We've talked about the federal requirements, but putting those aside, you know, many companies have their own vaccine requirements and that's okay to do as long as you're not in a state that doesn't allow it. So the Floridas of the world or Tennessee's of the world and some others that don't allow it, you can't obviously. In Minnesota here, if a company wants to have their own vaccine mandate, they can as long as they have accommodations for folks with with a medical condition or a religious belief. Ruben, do you remember the early days of COVID where we were trying to have conversations about what a policy should be, you know, in terms of if somebody got sick and we're to the point now where we're pointing at the MDH for guidance and say, follow these rules. And if they change, but early on, this was just, I don't want to say we were making it up, but you were making it up to some degree. 
Right? We were always following <laughs> the latest guidelines. We never made anything up there. We, <laughs> we, we followed everything to a T. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, but, but yeah. Bill, if you remember too, I mean, back in those early days, if my memory is right, the guidance was 14 day. Yes. For whether you were exposed to it or if you got it, I think. And then at yeah. some point it changed to 10. And then yeah. there were some different numbers along the way. And you know, I think a lot of it's based on what they're learning about how contagious people are. And from what I've read, at least, it sounds like you're most contagious those first five days, which is where this five-day number now comes from. You know, I think some people would say, is it really that? Or is it more just political pressure to say, you know, we got to get people back to work quicker. We can't have, especially with Omicron, like Tessa was mentioning, we can't have so many people out for 10 days because people won't have a workforce anymore. So that's, <laughs> right. I, I guess that's a different discussion about the reasons behind it. But, but those yeah. numbers have certainly changed from you know, where we were almost two years ago. Well, I just remember our approach was very, very conservative, right? Like mm-hmm. we were we were probably over the top, but yet it's just nice to have a single point of reference. Let the governing bodies make their changes. And as it happens, you just adjust on the fly. Yeah. And generally speaking, if you want to be more aggressive than what the government says you can be, or more restrictive is probably a better way to put it. So if you want to say, yeah, I know they've said five, but we still want to have 10. You know, generally speaking, there's nothing in Minnesota that would stop you from doing something like that. But most most companies, I think, are going with what the CDC has to say. So, Lenny, is there a difference between what the Minnesota Department of Health recommends and the CDC recommends? I know there's a difference, but what should we be following? They've been, Minnesota's probably been more conservative, I think, than the CDC in changing their guidelines. So I think in large part, they've been the same or similar, but Minnesota seems to always be a little bit behind. So here in Minnesota, I would definitely look at what the MDH says. And to the extent it's different than what the CDC says, being here in Minnesota, I'd say probably follow the Minnesota Department of Health guidelines, but they are for the most part pretty pretty consistent. Just okay. just Minnesota tends to lag a little bit behind the CDC. That's just our pragmatic nature up here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Does everybody feel like a wave is cresting, and hopefully in two or three months we're going to be beginning to put this behind us? At least that's where my head's at. I, I'm so hopeful. I, sure I think everybody so. hopes, but I don't know. You know, <laughs> believe it when we see it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm back as a part of the involuntary homeschool society at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. yeah, we're, we're, you know, we just hired some more inspectors for training, too. And so we're starting with that process. And we've hired, we've done three rounds of hiring and training new home inspectors since 2020. And this, it's been such a challenge because guaranteed, as soon as you start training, someone's going to come down with COVID. And then how do you navigate the training process, you know, with sick people? It's a challenge <laughs> to say the least, you know? Yeah. And, and certainly with what you guys do, you know, if you have a home inspector or several that suddenly become sick, you know, it's not as easy for you just to say, well, we'll just come and inspect two weeks from now. Right. Because yeah. there's other people out there. Several yeah. dominoes are waiting to fall and are contingent upon what you do. And yes, I feel for organizations like yours, that it's not so easy just to say, well, we'll just reconvene in two weeks. And you can't work from home. There's no Zooming and inspection. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> That won't work too well. No. Yeah, that is the silver lining of ebbing a little bit when everybody goes inside for holidays. Our schedule dips down this time of year. So we do have capacity if we need to make an adjustment on the last minute. So yeah, if there's anybody out there listening, if you need a home inspection, we can get it done very quickly right now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but your busy season is probably coming up. What, what, March, April, right? Springtime, I imagine you start getting quite busy. That's yeah. when it starts to get busy. Yeah. yeah. 
Lenny, is any COVID playing out in court right now other than at the federal level in these pretty high courts? I mean, are you seeing anything happening at the local level inside a courtroom? You know, there are cases out there. You know, nothing is at the Court of Appeals level or anything like that that's really kind of published decisions. But I know um, nothing that I'm involved in, but I know I've heard of cases throughout the country where you know, employers are being challenged in terms of what they're doing COVID-wise. Are they doing too much or not doing enough? You know, you got it all across the board. So there certainly are cases floating out there across the country on, on those issues. Can I ask a follow-up legal question, just kind of on procedure? If me as an individual want to bring suit against an employer or something like that, typically you can't just call your firm and sign up. You guys don't work for free. It seems like a, an expensive venture for an individual. Are, are there companies, are there groups that are standing behind the individual worker to support them through litigation? Yeah, no, th- there are. And, and just so it's clear, I generally represent employers, so I'd be on the other side of that table. But but there are organizations and, and law firms that just represent employees. And oftentimes in the employment arena, when a lawsuit is brought, many firms will front the costs or take a contingent fee or something like that. So for an individual employee, oftentimes they can bring legal actions without having any upfront costs and having very little risk because the firm they're hiring is going to take a contingent fee later on. So, you know, some of the cases that are out there are things like an employer has a vaccine mandate, but allows an accommodation and the employer didn't provide an accommodation. And some employees say, I should have gotten an accommodation. You didn't give it to me. Instead, you terminated my employment. So there's a potential lawsuit. So, so that's how a lot of employees can, can fund these things. Also, there are human rights agencies in Minnesota. It's called the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. Under federal law, the EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. A lot of cities have their own human rights commissions, Minneapolis and St. Paul, for example. So those allow employees to bring a discrimination claim. It's not a lawsuit. You're not in court. But there's no charge to do that. And they can do that without having to hire a lawyer. It's a pretty simple process to get to get started as well. So you don't necessarily need a lot of money to to initiate an action. Okay. You do have to have, you know, some facts to back you up and have a legitimate claim. That's not to say you're going to win at the end of the day, but you can't be making things up. But if you have some legitimate facts, there's ways to do it. If I can interpret what you just said, the, the folks across the table from you, they know they have to have a high degree of confidence that they're going to win before they're going to take that person on kind of pro bono. Yeah. yeah. You know, for the lawyers who represent individuals in these types of things, before they would take something on a contingent fee, they're going to want to have a lot of confidence of, of really two things. One is that they can ultimately prove liability, proving wrongdoing. And two, that there's actually some money involved, some damages there, because lawsuits are a lot of work and take a lot of time. And the lawyer on the other side is ultimately going to want to get paid at the end of the day, too. And, and you know, they're taking the risk of getting zero. So they want some upside if they do get a successful result. So, you know, sometimes, you know, when talking to my friends on that side of it, they, there's somebody they feel very bad for and would like to help, but the law doesn't support them. And yeah. so they just really can't step in and, and help. Well, I think we've all had experiences where we think the law is one thing and it's one way, and then you get involved in it and it's so different. And it's there's technicalities here or there that guide. I mean, I can just cite one example from a long time ago where we worked on a, non, a non-compete within my family, and it was a one-year non-compete. By the time we looked at everything, we had to make a decision. Do you want to fight this out and spend a bunch of money for probably three months? Because it's going to take nine months to actually get through this whole process. And we're just like, no, we we made a decision to go a different way. And 
So it's not always cut and dry, even if no. there should be a winner and a loser, right? Yeah, and you mentioned not competing. I do a lot of non-compete work, Bill. And in that scenario, I do help individuals, but I also help the companies, the new company that wants to hire somebody, the old company. But yeah, anytime there's potential litigation, there's first of all, there's always two sides to a story. And my friends who represent individuals a lot always will say, or often will say, the best story I'll ever hear is that first time that potential client comes in my office because I haven't gotten the other side of the story yet. So there's always two sides. And I don't care what kind of case it is. There is no such thing as a slam dunk case, especially if you get in front of a jury, you just never know what's going to happen. And I, I jokingly tell people, if you have a lawyer that you're looking to hire that promises you a certain result in a lawsuit, you better find another lawyer because there's no way a lawyer can promise you a certain result. It just can't be. I like that. I, I, that's great advice. And just all the confidence in the world won't, won't guarantee. And I know the video is not showing, but Ruben, you seem to be getting some like pink lipstick there for a second. Oh, now it's now it's gone. Did you guys see that too when he was moving? I just see the sun rays coming in and making him look like a... Yeah, I got a close. Yeah, it looks look, look, look like you have like pink lipstick for, for a minute. I don't know what it is. Zoom does that. It, <laughs> Zoom puts it on. Watch this. Oh. <laughs> no, but then move, move to your left a little, Ruben. Let's see. It's kind of when you're moving around. Yeah. Oh, other direction. It's, I see that. Yeah, it's it's got to be the lighting with the sun coming in. How it's got to be. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I blame Zoom. Okay. <laughs> if it happens again, you'll have to put this on video then for sure, right? Yes. <laughs> so let's let's turn our attention to topic number two, because at Structure Tech, we always seem to be hiring. And I've had so many questions about what you can actually do when you're asking questions like, how do you really get to know somebody in a meaningful way, yet legally? Lenny, I want to ask you my first question, and then it kind of let you just go with this. But how does Minnesota compare in terms of toughness when it comes to anti-discrimination or you can't ask that question at the Minnesota state level, but you could ask it at the federal level or some other state, let's say Florida or Texas or something like that. Where do we stand in the and and we're tough or not tough? I think I'd answer that this way, Bill. Uh, Minnesota is a very pro-employee state. I practiced in California back in the 90s. California is probably the most empl- pro-employee state, so we're not quite there, but we're definitely very pro-employee. And so We have a lot of anti-discrimination laws here, and oftentimes they're enforced in favor of of employees. And and by saying that, I don't mean unfairly enforced in favor of employees. I just mean when you compare to other states, such as Texas and that sort of thing, you could have the exact same conduct that in Texas, a court might say, that's not a big deal, no problem. But Minnesota is going to look at it differently and say, yeah, we do think it's a problem here. So so Minnesota is definitely a more pro-employee state than than others. Lenny, do you believe most employers are well-educated on what you can ask and what you can't ask and how you should conduct interviews? You know, in my experience, large employers tend to be, but that's because they have an in-house HR person, human resources person, or maybe an in-house lawyer or something like that. Uh, small and mid-sized businesses, not nearly as well. Generally speaking, I would say they're all well-intentioned. Nobody's really intentionally doing something improper. But it's that old thing, you don't know what you don't know. And they don't have an HR person. They don't have a lawyer on site or, or even on call to, to reach out to. I love to help those kinds of businesses because I can give them a lot of help up front. So they hopefully do most things right because it's a lot cheaper and a lot better to do things right up front than to do them wrong and then have to clean up the mess later. So, I mean, just like in your business, right? It's a lot easier to address a, an issue with the house before it becomes an issue. Yes. And afterwards. So I would say if you're talking about those larger businesses, yeah, I think they're pretty good, but small and mid-sized ones, well-intentioned, but could certainly use some help. 
What are some of the most common mistakes that smaller employers make asking questions to employers, employees or, or potential employees getting themselves in trouble? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of different anti-discrimination things and, and people are pretty smart. They're not going to ask something that's overtly discriminatory or harassing. But I've seen companies do things even at the job application stage, for example. In Minnesota, I've, I see, still see some job applications that have the question about do you have a criminal conviction? As of a few years ago, that question is not allowed on a job application in Minnesota. So if anybody's listening to this and has a job application with that on there, huh. you should take now certain positions, maybe it's okay, right? If you're applying to be an FBI or something like that. But for for you know private businesses, you know, that question should not be on a job application. That's not to say you can't ask about it later, but not on a job application. So sometimes I see really simple things like that. They're just a blatant violation. Often it's a lot more subtle. You know, you have a job interview and things are going really well with the person you're interviewing. And so you just kind of start talking about other things and maybe you start learning about somebody's life. And lo and behold, as you're talking to them, you find out their sexual orientation and uh, or, or their family status or something like that that has zero to do with the job. Right. But all of a sudden you find out some information. And what if you end up not hiring that person? That just maybe opens a potential door for that person to say, geez, I thought this interview was great until they found out my sexual orientation or until they found out I was a single parent with three kids at home. And then it changed and they didn't hire me. And I'm not saying that you're going to get sued or that you're going to lose a lawsuit, because hopefully in that circumstance, the person you ultimately hired, you actually did hire because of better qualification skills, all of those things. But you just accidentally opened a door to something. And I'd rather not have that door open. So, so I think the biggest issue I see is just interviews go well and you start learning things you don't really need to know. Hmm. Interesting. What if, Lenny, what if somebody offers personal information without you asking? Yeah, and that happens quite often. You know, I always suggest that, that whoever's doing the interviewing, supervisor, whatever it is, that they kind of, and, and they should practice this in advance, but how to move the subject to something else. So for example, they could say something like, Hey, you know, thank you, but that's not really information I need to make an employment decision. So I just want, I want to focus on what we need to know to make the best hiring decision we can, and then go on with whatever the next question is. So you're moving on from that as quickly as you can. That it sounds is, really tough to do. I mean, it yeah. feels like it, it feels like you're telling them, I don't care about you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know this is important to you, but I don't care. Like I would have no, such a tough time doing that. Yeah. It's good to practice it. So you can kind of get comfortable with it. And you can word it differently and say, hey, you know, you know, if you get this job, I'd love to learn more about your life and whatever else, you know, because we really want to get to know each other really well. But for our limited time here, today, I really just want to focus on the key things to be able to make the hiring decision to make sure you're a good fit for this job. You know, there's different ways to word it. And every person's going to be different in how they do that and how they handle it. Is the most qualified person that keeps you out of hot water no matter what, right? Hiring the most qualified person. But are, is an employer required to document why they made the decision they made with the group of people they interviewed? Yeah, you know, not necessarily. It's always from a lawyer's perspective. It's always helpful if, if there is a lawsuit to be able to look back and say, look, the person took notes at that time and said, here's why we reject this person. Here's why we hired this other person. But frankly, usually we don't have that. But it, but it is helpful because it can show what was in your mind at the time and show that the reasons that you're now claiming for why you reject one person to hire another were the true reasons back then. You're not just making them up now to justify your decision. My mind just going with, with all these things that it, it's just such a tricky line to, you know, to make sure you're not crossing when you're hiring and you're, 
especially in our industry, we get a lot of, I would say like a lot of people that come from, you know, the trades industries that are looking to get into something that's, you know, still physical, but not so demanding on their bodies. And, you know, and I can't even probably say this on air. I mean, we're looking for people that want to commit to this job for long term and are healthy and and can handle the, the demands of this job long term. We're not looking for someone who's going to, you know, get trained and then be out in a year or two because of a, you know, a major health concern and then they retire or something like that. But that's discriminatory to even go there with someone. What if someone comes and tells us, you know, well, I've been I've been in this this trade for a long time and my body's sore and I and I'm looking for something that's easier on my body and and I thought I'd come to you guys. Like what do we say to that? person. Yeah. So a couple of you got to be really careful with health stuff. You know, companies always want to know how many workers comp claims have this, has this person been involved in before and stuff like that. And you really got to stay away from it. But generally speaking, as long as you do this for everybody, you can say to somebody, here's what the physical demands are for this job. We just want to make sure, can you handle those physical demands? Technically, you say with or without an accommodation, because if they have a disability, but if there's an accommodation that would allow them to do it, that's still okay. But when you do that, you want to make sure you're asking everybody. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure you're asking that of the you know, the 30 year old person who shows up and looks like they're, you know, in, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. And you <laughs> want to ask that of, of some worker who might be 60 years old and, and is clearly not in this physically good shape. So you want to ask that question of kind of everybody, you know, here's the physical demands of the job. Can you do it? Here's the time requirements of the job. You know, can you, we sometimes work evenings, weekend, whatever it is. Can you meet those things? There are even ways, and I'm, I'm going to be a little careful in a podcast to say, because I don't want people to run out and do it because you got to be really careful with it. But there are ways to even do like conditional job offers and then potentially do some sort of medical exam. But you have to do that for everybody. And it's really got to be focused on just the physical needs for that job. And so if anybody's listening to this, don't run and do that. Get legal <laughs> advice before you did something like that. Give you but a call for a concern. There are ways to do to do stuff like that, too. But you have to do it at the right time and in the right way. Yeah. Yeah, what I'm hearing you saying is just be consistent with your hiring process Absolutely. and the questions you ask and, and Absolutely. document that. And and if someone gives you that sort of information, hopefully it doesn't turn into a liability if they're volunteering that, as long as you're consistent with your, your questions. And people make mistakes, even in interviewing, right? I mean, we're all human, especially if an interview is going well. You might say something later on, like, oh, man, I know oh, I shoot. shouldn't have asked yeah. Don't lose a lot of sleep over it. You know, I mean, we're all human here. At the end of the day, make the best hiring, as you mentioned, Bill, hire the best candidate. You know, if you mm-hmm. hire the best candidate, you're going to be fine. That's the key. You're going to be fine. Even if you did say something inappropriate, because frankly, even saying something inappropriate in and of itself is not the legal violation. It's then if you don't hire somebody because of a protected class status. Well, if, you, if you're always hiring the best qualified person, you're going to be in really good shape, even if right. you did make a, a misstep during the interview. Sure. Yeah. Good advice. I could ask questions about these topics for hours on end, because I'm sure there's little nuances that uh, would be really helpful. But we can't do that. I mean, we need to be respectful of your time. So I want to begin to wrap this, but are any pearls of wisdom you want to throw out to uh, anybody who's listening? Just, you know, uh, how to stay between the guardrails and and other than be consistent, do the whatever the hiring process is, I suppose it should be the same every time. If it's a four-step process, it should always be a four-step process. Yeah, be consistent is big. You could have a canned list of interview questions, and that doesn't mean, you know, you don't want to be a robot when you're interviewing. You just list each question because you want to hear what the person's saying, right? And based on their answers, you might pivot to different things. But if you have kind of a, a script or list of questions that, that really are the most important things you need to get out of that, then you'll have some consistency across 
the organization, whoever's doing these, these types of interviews. I would encourage people to get some advice up front, whether that mean an HR professional, an employment lawyer. The internet can be a great source. Just be careful because whatever source you're looking at, A, if you're in Minnesota, make sure it's actually Minnesota law and not some other state's law. And B, make sure it's actually relatively recent. It's not something that was from 10 years ago that may have been perfectly appropriate 10 years ago, but it's totally off base today. But there's a lot of resources out, out there. Sometimes if you're a member of an organization like a resource organization, or you might have through your insurance company, employment practices, liability insurance, they might have some good resources as well too. But I think it's like anything else, just educate yourself first rather than jumping into the deep end right away. One thing I know it's in fashion right now are taking spouses out when you're close to making a hire. It, it's like, hey, let's all go out to dinner and just get to know each other. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that from the chair you sit in? Yeah. So usually when I see stuff like that, it's often for higher level people and things like that and much more in depth type of types of interviews. Generally speaking, I'm okay with that, with the caveat that be careful of all those inappropriate questions. Now, now you're in a much more relaxed environment and probably a longer environment, right? You're going out to dinner, so it might be a couple hour period. So just be a little bit careful of that stuff. You know, also now you're meeting the spouse and, and make sure you're making hiring decisions based on the candidate, not based on the spouse. Because you're in Minnesota, for example, there is a, a protected classification based on marital status. So you don't want to actually do something based on the spouse or make a decision based on the spouse because you might run afoul of that that rule. So just, you know, it's okay to do, just just make sure you're still being careful. Remember, it's even though you're not in the work site, it's still a business interview. That's awesome. Thank you. So two drink minimum is what you're saying. Two drink minimum, that's right. Uh, Tessa, that's perfect. Hey, Lenny, I I do need to ask about this before we wrap things up. Social media scrubs. This this seems to be everybody wants to go troll you on social media. Any recommendations or advice for, for employers? when working with social media? Yeah, I would say I would say two things. One, don't false friend somebody on Facebook or whatever. You know, you don't want to go and get into kind of some private areas by faking being a friend. To the extent you do look at public sources, whether it be Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, whatever, TikTok, all those types of things, you can learn a lot of information about somebody, but you can also learn a, a good information, but you can also get a lot of things that you don't need as part of the hiring process that could create issues. So for example, if you go and look at somebody's Facebook profile, you very likely will be able to find out their gender, their race, maybe their sexual orientation, maybe their religion, things like that, either based on them actually saying it or based on groups they're affiliated with. And so I would encourage you to the extent you you do those types of searches, if possible, have somebody who's not involved with the hiring process do that research, and then they can only provide relevant information to the people making that hiring decision. So they would say, you know, if you're looking at somebody's profile, and they get all this information about somebody, they pass on to the hiring person, hey, this person's worked for X, Y, and Z companies, here's their skills and all that. They don't pass along information about what sexual orientation the person is or what religion they are or what race they are or anything like that. So it separates that person from the hiring person. I think that's really important. If you're large enough to be able to do that, obviously, if you're a one or two person company, that might not be realistic. But if you can, I recommend that. We've been in a lot of situations where we've been around a lot of business owners who do scrub Facebook and Insta and oh, yeah. looking for, for all those, those different things. And boy, it, uh, it, it could be a tricky situation. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of companies do that now. The other thing too, is you can always hire some third-party background check companies too, to do some background check. There's a lot of notice requirements to an applicant for that under both federal law and, and Minnesota law. You can always hire a third party to do a lot of background check stuff too. But, but yeah, a lot of companies do that. I would say for employees or individuals who might be listening to this, 
be careful what you put out there and be careful what your friends are posting. You know, it may be very funny to have some friend of yours post that picture from you in college 20 years ago when you were you know, drunk under a table or something like that. But do you want some potential employer seeing that? You know, probably not. So I always tell employees, be careful what's out there. Know what's out there about yourself. Use those privacy settings in the very social media. So you're to the extent you can controlling what's out there about you. One last very specific question as it relates to socials. I once heard in a job interview, hey, listen, if I went out and looked at your profiles, am I going to see anything that you wouldn't want me to see? Mm -hmm. Is that a question that's a fair question to ask in a job interview? Is it fair? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong about asking that question. It's a little bit of a gotcha question because as the recipient said, well, what do you mean by that? Is there going to be something out there? No, there's nothing of me, you know, being drunk and engaging in very inappropriate type of behavior or something like that. But, you know, I don't exactly know what you mean that you want like to see. So I, I think it's a really tough question for a recipient to respond to. But is it inherently inappropriate? No. Okay. Well, fair enough. I appreciate that. I did not ask that question for anybody who's wondering if I'm asking the question because I asked the question. So. <laughs> but, and I'll tell you, I, you know, I do training on hiring stuff too. I've got do's and don'ts. And, you know, some companies ask those questions. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You know, those types of questions are perfectly fine. I, I, you know, I don't ask those questions. I don't, I don't know what a good answer to that question is, but some people probably do and feel like, Hey, the type of personality we want has to be this type of tree. I don't know, but but there's a lot of different things out there. And I, I think when you're interviewing, really focus on what do you need to know for this job? What skills, what qualifications? You know, when you're talking to the person, do they seem like there's a good rapport with them, a good fit, you know, those types of things. And you will make mistakes. You're not always going to hire the right person. I, I, I wish I could give you the magic bullet to say, this is how to always hire the right person, but I've never discovered it. Well, it's like we're looking for the secret pill because we've all built cultures inside of businesses and you hate to bring in an individual that just destroys culture or something like that. But it feels like to really get to culture, you have to ask some of these personal questions. And so now you get onto thin ice and, and you got to be careful of how far you walk out. Yeah, but you can ask, you, know, you can ask people what they like to do in their spare time, what activities, stuff like that. You know, if you really want to be careful, you preface it by saying, hey, tell me other things I want to do. I don't want to know about like religious organizations or anything like that. But you know, what, what activities do you like to engage in? Oh, I, you know, I'm a skier in the wintertime. I play baseball, you know, those types of things. I mean, those are, those are appropriate things to, to be able to ask about. Awesome. Well, it, this is like a training session. It, it's an, it's an on pod training session. So Lenny, thank you very much. Scared the crap out of me. And I feel like, I feel like we needed more in-depth training. Ruben, do you want to line that up for us? <laughs> <laughs> we may have to do some of that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, why don't we do this for now? Why don't we put a wrap on everything with today's conversation? Again, you've been listening to Lenny Siegel. Lenny's with Schindel Siegel. Where are you guys? St. Louis Park? St. Louis Park near the West End. Perfect. You can go on to SchindelSiegel.com and you can find anything you want to learn about Lenny and ask him questions. All his contact information is there. We will also link up all the appropriate contact information. So Lenny, thank you again. You're a, you're a wonderful resource and we're, we're lucky to be able to just tap into your mind and kind of ask these questions as, as vaccine mandates unfold and you know employment law is not, not a simple thing. So we really appreciate you coming on. You're very welcome, Bill, anytime. Awesome. Thank you, Lenny. Yeah, everybody out there, you've been listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs> 
more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com. 